0: Fourth Watch starts now. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight we're going to be discussing some of the occult connections between two of the largest science and technology organizations in the world. We're dealing with fallen angel technology, and we're also dealing with open admissions by these organizations that seem to be dangerous and demonic. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the 4th Watch Radio Network, I call this episode CERN, NASA, and the Nephilim Connection, with special guest, Michael Herr. It's hard to follow technology news and not hear about CERN, but what we aren't hearing is the fact that there seems to be an ironic connection with the NASA MMS portal program, and even furthermore, the fact that there are spiritual ramifications involved. We're living in a time where the technology of the Watchers is being utilized, and it's getting more unbelievable as each day passes. For those who aren't familiar with the term Watchers, we are referring to the fallen angels. They were bringing their forbidden technology to man before the Great Flood, and they have continued to do so for thousands of years. We have records of this in just about every culture that has risen and fallen. We see the same narrative in the Book of Enoch and the Bible. I should probably go ahead and say that tonight's show may be an information overload for some of you. I say this as a disclaimer because we're constantly picking up new listeners and some of you might not be familiar with the basics of this research. And the fact is, I've covered much of this research in past shows. So if you're a new listener and you're not familiar with the demonic and the paranormal deception that's ravaging the world, you might not make it through tonight's discussion. If you're unaware of the fact that there are references in the Bible to extraterrestrials and UFOs, you might find some of this discussion mind-blowing and even overwhelming. But if you're a born-again Christian who desires to understand spiritual warfare and who wants to be aware of the end times deceptions, you'll be glad you tuned in tonight and I pray that each one of you will be able to digest the key information that we discuss. Now, tonight we're joined by author and filmmaker Michael Hur. Michael is also known as Shield of the Sun on YouTube, where he has nearly 30,000 followers. One of his documentary films has over 4 million plays. Now, with that said, we want to go ahead and go to the line with Michael Herr. Michael, welcome back to The Fourth Watch. How are you tonight? I am doing well. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. This is really cool to have you back on The Fourth Watch. And the topic tonight, this is... This is kind of crazy. We're talking about the connection between CERN, the NASA MMS portal program, and we're going to get into some of the Nephilim connections here because, wow, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) So real quick, for people who don't know, CERN, they're dealing with higher energy physics, and they've got these, they've got particle accelerators, they've got this collider, and the problem is, is that they're able to open up these portals. And I know this sounds like totally science fiction, something out of like, you know, back to the future. (laughs) But what we're dealing with here is this machine and some of their technology. They're opening up these portals and they're able to open up what they call multidimensional doorways. Now, these are scientists. Scientists are saying that they are doing this right now. Some of the scientists are actually saying that they're seeing some of these entities. They're seeing these these, uh, apparitions or these manifestations of entities through these dimensional portals. Now, I just wanted to explain that that's what's going on right now over at CERN. And for those of you who don't know anything about CERN, you can look it up. It is C-E-R-N. Just look up CERN if you want to. The problem that we see here is that people are people are coming out and they're saying, hey, look, this is the key to the bottomless pit. People are actually believing that this thing that they're they're using, this machine is going to open up the bottomless pit of the tribulation that we read about in Scripture. They are working with what they are calling the God Particle. Yeah, This is official. Ladies and gentlemen, if you think we're making this up, this is probably one of the most serious talks that I've had in a while about modern science. They are working with something they call the God Particle. They believe with their technology they can recreate the Big Bang. Now, we don't believe in the Big Bang. We believe in the Bible creation account. But they believe in the Big Bang, and they believe that they're able to recreate the energy that was used when God created the earth and they're calling it, they're calling it the God particle because they believe out of that energy came creation. Stephen Hawkins, he said, don't go any further, CERN. He says, this is dangerous. You don't know what you're getting into. Stop it. Other physicists, big time physicists who are not even Christians, they're all saying, don't go any further. This is dangerous. You are opening up a door to something that you don't want to do.
1: Yeah, you know why he said that? Because it's the isolation of 38 atoms that concerns him. You see, what they're trying to do is that they're trying to power electrical sounds that anti-hydrogen. And what they want to do with the anti-hydrogen is that they want to maintain the anti-hydrogen while heating up 38 atoms to create sound modulations within the blast. And you see, the problem is with that is that if it works, You will burn a hole in space and time, but you have no idea what will come in or what will come out or how that will affect our realm and what that can introduce. The second thing is that if it doesn't work, that this can cause explosions upon the Earth that could ripple effect multiple earthquakes. It could also affect the weather, and it can geographically change the shifting points of the plates of the Earth, meaning it could flood half of South America, it could probably drown Cuba and things of that sort, and people have no idea about this. But yet, when you're dealing with something called HARP, which already have those properties to do that, this is the confirmation that this technology is out there and people are already playing with it. And that's why Hawkins was against it. What is often said is what I firmly believe, because the Bible's showing that, is that they're relying on fallen angels to periodically. Every 10 years, every 20 years, whatever the time frame is, to give them pieces of that technology. So that's why they
0: wait. The biggest names in science, people who we've grown up learning about in, in you know, uh, chemistry class or whatever, uh, physics. I remember when I was in physics in high school, you know, I, I mean, I remember learning about some of these these big names and they were heroes, you know, to all the kids who wanted to be scientists, and and these these guys are saying, stop it, don't do it, don't go any further. You know, I mean, the scientists are saying we've, we're seeing faces, we're seeing entities show up, which we as Christians know that they're seeing demons, they're seeing demonic manifestations in their facility, and the connection to the sound of all this, th- this is interesting. There was a video that came out, uh, I, I forget what date it was released, but it maybe uh, two months ago or a month ago. But they had a band come into CERN and they set up their drums over here, their guitars over here, bass over here, and they started channeling. Now, most of, most, most of you listening right now, you know what channeling is. That's where you open up your body and your mind to a spirit guide or a demon is what we call them. So you open up your mind to a demon and they take over your body and they start inspiring your body to do this and do that and, and all these weird things and sometimes write music. Well, this band is going on a crazy, Tangent that I've never seen before, and they're making noise, Michael. They're not playing music. They're making noise inside of CERN, and they're recording their noises as if it were some kind of great performance. And it's very demonic. You know, some people are going to watch this video and they're going to say, Oh, no, no, they were just, you know, vibing. They were just vibing. No, I'm telling you, this was demonic. They were channeling whatever energies were inside of that building of CERN.
1: Well, that's interesting because that one artist, Will I Am actually visited the CERN project. They actually have had, you know, Hollywood musical and possibly even Hollywood actors to visit this institution, the installation in um, in Geneva, you know. And um, that is interesting because the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of us believe that the, the people involved with Project CERN are, are involved with the call connections. Yep. This doesn't mean... All the scientists or the laboratory employees are involved in it, but it is to say that their department heads are, and it is to say that the people who put the project together all had new age visions for this project that existed with institutions that represented their beliefs, which were not Christian beliefs. They put the project, they based it in, in in the suburb of Geneva. And I don't know if people know the history of that area. Maybe they should, but in the northwest suburb of Geneva, where the where the CERN Collider is located under the ground, that's the same area where they put together the international field and for the idea of the United Nations, the Geneva Convention. And a lot of people tend to forget this little tidbit of history.
0: Uh, I don't want to go too deep here, but you made a comment, Michael. You said every so many years, it's like the government's waiting on the Anunnaki, which we know the Anunnaki is the biblical account of fallen angels coming down and bringing technology to man. So I had JC Johnson on, and many of you heard the show with JC Johnson. We talked about the cryptids and the hybrids. Um, We actually did a little extra bonus interview. I I have not broadcasted it yet, but we talked about Area 51, the misconceptions. Everybody's looking at Area 51, but in reality, what's happening is Area 51 is like the left hand, the magician's left hand. You know, everybody's watching that left hand while the right hand is doing something else. And so Area 51 is kind of the cover up. And in reality, there's other bases that are being used for what we'll just call fallen angel technology, alien technology. You know, people call it alien. You and I know, Michael, it's fallen angel. But he said that once a year, the Anunnaki will come and meet with government leaders with technology That's correct. And it's not a matter of we're just going to do you a favor. No, no, no. It's like the old colloquialism. They sold their soul to the devil. That's pretty much what's going on here because the fallen angels don't give away technology for free. We're dealing with cosmic warriors that were kicked out of heaven with Lucifer. And they are coming down here and working with the kings of this earth secretly, the highest levels of government. They're giving them technology in return The government has to be enslaved to them. The government has to do what they want and has to push forward this one world order and this enslavement of mankind. People are going to say this sounds like a conspiracy theory. Go back and read your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen. Read your Bibles.
1: That's correct. Yeah, I mean, people don't understand that what their rulers are really like when you don't see them on TV. And I tell people they're on their knees and they're praying. And people go, and they laugh, and they go, what, are you kidding me? These guys praying? I'm like, yeah, they pray really hard. They get on their knees, and they're praying. But they're not praying to Jesus Christ. No. But they're praying really hard. And I tell them they're very devout, too. They get dressed up. They take it very seriously. They will even kill for what they believe in because they believe in it that strongly. And they're just as spiritual, as as real Christians are about Jesus, is what they adhere to with their what they call their gods, you know, Satan. And people never understand that about them, that the rulers are spiritual people. Believe me, they are. But their spirituality is not Christianity. It's what the Bible calls satanic. That's right. But they don't, they don't see it that way, though. The rulers... They see it as pure, as a God of light and wisdom, and they call it all these good things. But the Bible says that's exactly what they would call it, because they're deceived at the end of the day. And it's, it's very clear that this has been going on for centuries. And to understand the evidence of it, even if you don't want to believe in the Bible, which if you don't want to believe in the Bible, I would personally say that's an ignorant person, because the Bible is more real than any book you will come to understand if you really are a literary man. But to understand it, ancient history always talks about spiritual entities, a religion that is occultic, that had mystical powers, enchanting wonders, abilities that were beyond human understanding since the time we found tablets from ancient Sumer 5,000 years ago. In the time of Noah after the flood. We found things earlier than that. The same symbols. The same type of beliefs. From rulers. Palaces. Because the only type of ruins we really get are the palaces. Yep. You know? So we really find out what the kings were doing. Because the normal people just couldn't have those type of things. And since they built such magnificent palaces. And since certain things were left over. What do we find? What's the evidence that's left over? Their pagan worship. And what's to make people think that's stopped? That's been going on for thousands of years. It's hereditary. It's in their blood, in their genes. What makes people think that's stopped?
0: Exactly. Maybe. I mean, go back to what the – look at all the tribes of the world, okay? The Native Americans in Europe and uh, Asia, there is record of – these gods with little g's coming up from, you know, basically coming up, coming down. Uh, Sometimes they would come up from the earth. Sometimes they would appear from the sky and they would literally cohabitate with women create this this race of Nephilim offspring, which the Bible totally validates this, and then their offspring would be set up as rulers and kings of the earth. I don't know why people have such a hard time understanding this. They want to run out and vote for this man or that man. They don't realize that all the the presidents are just puppets, and they are descendants, even though they're puppets, they are descendants of the master bloodlines. Even though it's a watered-down genealogy, I'll give you that, they're still descendants. And you know what? All of the kings of this world, the, the kingdoms, and I can't say all, but most, most of them go back to a Nephilim nobility bloodline. I've talked about this. I broke it down with Gary Wayne, who did a fantastic job putting together his book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Everybody check out genesis6conspiracy.com. Sorry to plug that real quick, but the Nephilim bloodline, this is a nobility bloodline. Okay. This is the bloodline of the kings and the rulers of this world. And they've been told to keep your bloodlines pure so that the rulers of this world will be a pure pedigree or a close to a pure pedigree of Nephilim DNA, which is angel and human. This is going back to Genesis six, you know, and and I'm sorry, people. I know that I talk about the Nephilim kind of semi regularly. They come up because this is part of our spiritual warfare. People don't understand the church today. They just look at everything like it's just, oh, well, it's just happenstance. Oh, well, you know, it's just the way things happen. You know, it's just normal. That's just life. We see, we, we look at it as, okay, we have our spiritual glasses on. This is demonic. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that guy that says, you know, 99% of everything is demonic, but I'll say probably 95%. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, seriously, I mean, we have to have these glasses on like that movie called They Live. You put the glasses on and you can see everything for what it is. And you know, so many Christians look at things as just normal. You know, um, a friend of mine, I'm not going to say who he is or what relation he is, because I don't want to give him away. But a friend of mine told me recently that his son was acting out. And he knew that it was a spiritual attack. And he literally had to get right down in his son's face and put his hands on his son and put his head right in front of his son's face and pray in the name of Jesus to get this demonic attack to flee. See, now most parents would say, okay, you know what? Send him to his room. He's being bad. Send him to his room. He's grounded. No TV tonight, no Netflix, no video games. But no, my friend has spiritual glasses on. He's a minister of the gospel. He knew that this was a demonic attack. And so what does he do? He dealt with it the way a spiritual man of God would have dealt with it. We've got to start waking up to the spiritual realities of what's going on. It's not a physical war we fight. But everybody wants to act in the physical. But we have to act in the spiritual now, I'm sorry I'm preaching over here. Please forgive me. Actually, I'm sorry that I'm not sorry, but. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I want to say this real quick because you brought up the fact that these people are, you know, whether it's CERN, whether it's NASA, whether it's these, these occult groups, they all go back to the doctrine of Lucifer. You know, you brought up, um, Project Paperclip or Operation Paperclip where our, uh, the American government brought over the Nazis, uh, best scientists. Obviously, there were some of them that disappeared with Hitler after World War II. We know many of them disappeared with Hitler, uh, went down through Argentina. Uh, we believe they went down to Antarctica, but regardless, um, some of the Nazi scientists that were the top, they got brought over here and they got given, you know, immunity, and they got set up as American scientists. One of those is Werner von Braun, who was doing you know and and, and you know, without Werner von Braun, our NASA would not be our NASA, okay? Let me just say that NASA would be nothing without Werner von Braun,
1: but he's, well, he. Was the, yeah, he was the centerpiece.
0: And what did he say? He is on record for saying we had our help from them.
1: Yeah, that, that was that was a direct quote. Uh, to clear up to cure up the confusion, like when people think about Project Paperclip, Nazis going to Argentina, Nazis going to Antarctica. Nazis going to America and Russia. The moon. Right. The answer to that question is that it's all of the above. You see, World War II was a conglomerate of allied and Axis forces. So it wasn't just America fighting World War II. It was a lot of countries that did. And then uh, what happened is is that when the Axis powers fell, a lot of things got divided. The spoils of war went to many different countries. One of the spoils included those scientists because they were involved in black projects that was the next wave, the next step of the future. And so that's why they went to different places. And to understand it, these projects were in within those places. There were projects in Argentina. There were projects in America. There were projects even in Antarctica. And that's why all of them were dispersed. Van board Warren, this guy To understand the founder of NASA, he really is the founder of NASA. They won't make him that. They won't really give him the credit for that, but he really is because he actually established how their space program would be initialized, how the rockets would be fired out, what distances they would go, where to land, you know, how they would maneuver. You know, he even offers to help them with their propaganda department. You yeah. know that wonderful department that lies through their teeth 24 hours a day, about every single thing NASA does? Yeah, he helped them do that, too.
0: And they even worked with Walt Disney. Walt Disney helped them. They made a Walt Disney propaganda film with yeah. Werner von Braun about NASA.
1: Because Disney loved Nazis. I hate to tell people this, but if you look into Walt Disney's words and his history, the man loved Hitler. Yep. The man loved Germany. The man loved all those ideals that the Nazis had. Look at what he does with his so called family company. He profiles a man who got his start, you know, killing people, experimenting on them, you know, seeing what rocket chemicals will do to someone's brain when it's when the when the accelerations of the ship is going at like four hundred Gs and three hundred Gs and you know, they had experiment on someone, right? Yeah. And, and so he, he picks the people that they're killing and murdering and throughout their whole Nazi regime, and he was part of that. That was his war crime. You know, the, the, the parts he did in the, in the experimental phases of these projects and took his research because he achieved something, we're supposed to forgive him and, and, and make him part of this project. It sickens me on another level. But when he said that we got help from them, who he's talking about were the spirits that the Nazis worshipped. And those were fallen angels, Luciferian demons. And they were the ones who were coercing Hitler. Hitler often spoke about that. He he wasn't even trying to cover that up. You know, he he made Nazi Germany... A pagan nation, oh, absolutely. You can
0: see videos of this of them like having absolutely. these pagan i mean giant <laughs> pagan ceremonies where people were dressing like togas and like bringing these golden sceptre, I mean, man, I'm telling you. Even on the History Channel, and and I know the History Channel is propaganda, but it's still interesting. and, And you get a little bit of truth in there. And boy, man, the History Channel showed some of these pagan ceremonies and rituals taking place in Nazi Germany. And man, all the people, all the civilians are gathering around and cheering and celebrating and worshiping the false gods. And, you know, these are the same gods that are honored through the Olympics. We're dealing with the gods of old being worshiped and being, you know, brought up on a pedestal here. Nazi Germany was huge in worshiping false gods. And and like you said, this goes back to the fallen angels. Now, I want to say something else. I'm going to be real bold here. I believe, I believe that the fallen angels and being able to shapeshift and hey, look, folks, the Bible says angels can actually shapeshift into human form and look like a human. I believe it's possible, and this is going back to Theosophy and Madame Blavatsky and the root races, uh, you know, uh, this whole idea of the root races that Hitler was into, I'm probably going to confuse some of you by saying this, <laughs> I believe the fallen angels probably shape-shifted into Aryans. I believe that the idea of an Aryan race being the perfect supreme race, I believe they were probably the fallen angels shape-shifting into these perfect-looking humans. That's my opinion here. I'm not teaching this yep. as doctrine, but I think that's very possible.
1: Well, the Bible shows that that is a reality for angels. They can shapeshift to look human. But
0: they, they said look, the Aryans look. came down in UFOs. They, uh, there is Nazi records of Aryan humans coming down in UFOs. How could this be if they were not fallen angels?
1: Well, Everett Snowden called them the Nordics.
0: The Nordics. There you go. The Nordics. Thank you. And they yeah. said that the Nordics even lived inside the earth.
1: Correct. They're they're fallen angels basically. They have that. to be. They're beings that look white, they like they glow white, they got like white skin, white hair, really what they call benevolent looking beings. Some are really tall, like giant size, some are short, some are small enough to fit into your hand, from what I was told. And apparently these are the same beings that appear to people like Hitler. And Hitler really was inspired by them. He called them the supermen. Yep. because of the things they did, you know, like they were able to float and they were able to fly. You know, like the superpowers that Superman has.
0: Oh, absolutely!
1: Kind of the things they were. He was seeing them do. Dude,
0: Superman was a freaking nephilim.
1: Yeah, he was just a nephilim. Well, pretty much all the comic book characters are based on that. And then um, it really is to just go back to the to the basis of that, you know, and and um, and just kind of understand that that's what these people are are really just involved with some high-level spiritual activity that they've been worshiping through family lines and bloodlines and generational lines.
0: NASA has a program going on right now. It's called the MMS program. I talked about this a long time ago before this actually launched. So you've got this MMS program, the Magnetospheric Multiscale Mission. That's what it's called. It actually launched on March 12, 2015 at 1044 p.m. I'm not making this up. This is coming right off of the NASA.gov website. NASA admitted that there are portals, multidimensional portals. It is no longer science fiction. NASA admitted this. They know how to measure them when they open and when they close. Okay. Now I'm just I'm just telling you what NASA said. They've got a spaceship that broke off into four pieces, four different mini mini spaceships. Basically, it got launched. It broke off into four pieces so that each piece could go to a certain place in the atmosphere, and it's measuring when these portals open and close. Now, backtrack to CERN. They've got their, their collider, which is opening up, and they've got particle accelerators, okay, which we're seeing a lot of this in TV shows and in movies. The particle accelerators are opening up portals. CERN is admitting that they're opening up these portals. So NASA says they believe that the portals in space basically open up a wormhole down to earth. I'm I'm just, this is blowing my mind. This is right out of NASA's mouth. So the portals in space open up and they believe that something goes to a portal in space. Boom. It's going to appear down on earth. Well, where's it going to appear? They've got to have a portal open. Well, let's go, let's go over to Geneva, Switzerland. Let's go over to where they've got discern. If they're opening portals down there and they can open them on cue with their technology and they can track when the portals are opening in space, we've got a connector. We've got point A, we've got point B. So there's a connection here between NASA MMS program and CERN, all happening at the same time. I don't believe this is coincidence. We're dealing with the same types of technology of portals opening and closing. That's
1: correct.
0: Now, no more do we have to travel via spaceship. If we've got a portal, we can just, boom, jump in this portal, you know, now I'm not saying that this is going to work with the human body because obviously I don't think our bodies were meant to handle this. I don't know. I, I mean, we're stepping into a realm of the unknown here. You know, this is like that whole Willy Wonka. You know, where we're going to take this little chocolate bar and we're going to cause this little chocolate bar to teleport into this giant chocolate bar. You remember that?
1: Yeah, yeah. The the object of it is that your body can't handle it. So what the what the object of the technology is is to then speed up reaction to when the space-time portal opens before you, where what they're trying to do is when they perfect what they want to do in terms of opening the portal, its ability then is to shoot you so fast that you would hit past the spheres of space so fast that none of the effects would be able to reach you in time. That's what they're thinking.
0: But your, body's, so then, your physical body is still teleporting.
1: Of course, yeah. There's going to be effects regardless of it. It has after effects. It really does. You know, everything they do does. You know, so it, it is it is sad. I mean, what you're saying is totally true. But
0: see, you people know? are going to hear this and they're going to say, no, Michael, no, Justin. This sounds like science fiction. You guys are crazy. I mean, all we're doing is telling you what the actual I mean, we're talking about um, the world's top scientists, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about some Johnny come lately who, you know, has a little show on the public broadcasting. No, we're talking about the world's top scientists. And they are working on projects. And they are telling us in little increments what they're doing. And what we're doing is we're connecting the dots. That NASA is saying they've got portals in space. CERN is saying we're opening portals on Earth. And NASA says these portals in space will lead you from the sun's atmosphere to the Earth's atmosphere in a blink of an eye. And this is like, when I read this, Michael, I said I've got to talk about this because I'm not reading somebody's article. I'm reading actual official literature From NASA on the government website. Now, I've got a weird thought. Now, this is going to kind of probably, some people are not going to like me saying this. Okay. I've got a thought. You know, when I did the shows with BDK from Omega Frequency, we talked about the Nephilim having different qualities. You know, we're talking about these hybrid creatures that the Bible says exist where angels created hybrids with humans. So they are half angel, half human. They've got different qualities, they can do things that humans can't do because they now have a multidimensional body and a human body mixed. So think about it. Is it possible that Nephilim, and this is all part of the alien agenda because the alien agenda tells us that there's life on other planets, you know, this alien life that's coming down here and they're supreme. Is it possible that what we're dealing with are fallen angels and Nephilim living on other planets, setting up bases and building structures on other planets? Because the Nephilim, they don't, have, they don't have to be constrained to the 100% human body. They're half and half. So is it possible Maybe. that Nephilim are up on other planets, Michael? What are your thoughts on this? Because I think it is. I think there's something dimensional about the planets. And I think that science is starting to prove this. And it's not disproving the Bible. It's actually proving the satanic end times agenda happening right before our eyes.
1: Well, the planets have dimensional spheres that are connected to it. The Bible calls them gates of heaven. And in the ElysiaStics, they're called the circuits of time, space, and time. So that's the dimensional connection to planets. In fact, that's Earth's connection too. By the way, we're all connected to these dimensional grids. And the fallen angels falling from the, the Principality of Heaven would then have fell through the spheres. And this is what the Bible's talking about, you know about angels being trapped in spears when he sent them to hell and they're trapped in hell and there was this divide when um, Abraham was in heaven and um, looking down, he was chilling out with Lazarus and he saw this guy in hell and Jesus tells him there's a chasm there's a fixed line between me and you. Well, that all goes back to the fact that that supports what you're saying. That when the fallen angels fell, they had to adapt to environments that they were in. Some were trapped in the spheres and it was believed that the making of their children was a way to manifest their own self and their own nature further and further into our realm. And so it would be very, you know, easy for them to be on these other planets and set up base on these other planets and set up culture. And that would be an easier way to have access to us because it then enables them to just reappear and disappear. Into our world Uh,
0: through a dimensional portal, per se.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, when people, you know, often speak about when they've been abducted or had those other type of experiences and they'll say, well, it was like I was in my room and then I was in another world. Exactly. Not to be funny about it, but it's to say that that is their experience. Well, there is an explanation to that experience and they must be close by. They can't be galaxies away. They must be
0: near us. Now, you could travel. Now, let's say you've got a spaceship and you try to travel to that galaxy. Yeah, it would take a long time. But utilizing their technology and their characteristics, they jump. Right.
1: It would be
0: within seconds. And NASA is proving this. NASA is saying the science is proving that this is real. They are finding the portals and they can measure when they open and close. And they now see that they connect to the Earth's atmosphere. This is total evidence of the idea that we believe the demonic realm Is is multi-dimensions.
1: Yeah, you can see them with infrared, you know, like with infrared radar. If you got like infrared radar, you know, with a machine attached to that, you can actually see it. You know, um, the radar actually does the instrumentations for you. It can actually determine to you how big the portal is, how small it is, how many of these things are coming through. And that's the same
0: thing they're using with the paranormal investigators. And and I'm not condoning this, ladies and gentlemen. You know I don't believe in going around talking to ghosts. I believe that's demonic. But these demons, if they don't physically appear, they're still there. There are – I mean, and and that's why they use these infrared cameras to show these entities when they're doing their paranormal investigation hunts. They can see these entities showing up in the infrared because they're in another dimension. But they're still here. They're still here. And this is one of those things that really it's pushing people into the whole uh, discussion of the multiverse. I mean, Chuck Missler, you know, and I know some people don't like Chuck Missler. That's cool. Don't shoot me for mentioning his name. But he said that science is proving and this was years ago. He said that they can measure with science dimensions. And it's debatable. Some say it's 11, you know, nine dimensions. Some say 11, some say 12. But Mm -hmm. science proves that there are at least nine dimensions, possibly more.
1: Yeah, what Chuck is talking about are the multi-universes. That's what they call it. But the Bible actually calls them multi-dimensions. And um, you see, um, multi-dimensions really means that there's not only what you got like Venus and Mars and all that, but there's even worlds in between the space that goes in there. And that's another, you know, reality that they're starting to understand more. When he talks about the nine worlds, he's actually talking about invisible worlds that exist within these pockets of dimensions. that the the only thing he's seen from his prospect of intelligence is how the entities move and sometimes they're like moving from a society that is like not the moon or not mars but yet close to the moon and mars like it's like right in between us and when we look back into what paul was talking about that these fallen angels reign from the princes of the air and that they sit among principalities. Principalities is a word to describe invisible worlds yeah. in heaven. So that the, the universe itself is is really not what people think it is. There are mysteries to it that, that are you know more seen when you understand the science of interdimensional worlds. The connection Paul is making is that that world of the fallen angels rules our world. That's why he uses principalities, because it's a way to connect what we see as kingdoms to something higher that they're serving. But this higher thing that they're serving is demonic. And they pattern their kingdoms to look like what they've seen with that which they worship. And so that's what he's, that's where he's referring it to. Paul's connecting what, what people can see in the temporal and giving the reality of the spiritual that's behind it. And then that's why a lot of people get Paul confused, but it's not confusing.
0: No, it's because
1: not. When you, when you understand, when you're in the, when you're in this world now and you understand the knowledge that you're having now, it's more easier now to understand what Paul meant. Like, oh, I get it. So I'm, I'm in a principality myself. I'm in a kingdom, but this kingdom is not patterned after God. It's not patterned after what God wanted. It's a kingdom patterned after what these rulers. All with their gods and their principalities and with the demonic forces. So when they built this building, when they built this system, and when they built this government, they were getting all those ideas from fallen spirits who were inhabiting their fallen world, and they were just pattering for what they saw. And their imaginations and, and their intelligence, their creativity was all wrapped up into that. And the Bible shows that. even Even a lot of things show that. So it's, it's 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 the same thing. I mean, when we see when we when we see it now, you know, why Obama does what he does and what Hillary does what he does. Why do they build a city? Why do they build a collider? Where do they get these ideas from? And it, it all goes back to what they were worshiping.
0: You know, the Bible says the things that we see were made by things that we don't see. Right. You know, God is outside of our time. He is outside of our dimension, but he's also inside of our time and inside of our dimension because he is omnipresent. You know, and we have to come to the point to realize that, and people are going to say, why are y'all talking about this? You know, what's the, what's the, what's the big point here? What's the big idea? Because we have to talk about it because we have to address these things from a Christian biblical perspective because the world is addressing these things from a world perspective. So, you know, some people are going to say this stuff doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Because what's happening is people who don't have solid faith, you know, people who have seeds of Christianity planted that were not planted in good ground. Well, they hear all this stuff from the world's perspective and they start to waver in their faith because they don't have any roots. So we have to talk about these things. We have to address these things from a Christian biblical perspective the best we can, because we're not going to understand this 100%. There's going to be certain questions that we can't answer. But we have to address this the best we can based on what we do know. So that's why we're addressing these types of things. You know, again, some people are going to get upset. Oh, well, you know, you Christians don't have any business talking about this. Well, yes, we do. Because when the world brings a deception, we have to address it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's not fun to be a watchman. It's not fun to have to call these things out. And people say, well, why do you want to call these things out? Because we have to sound the trumpet to warn people so that they're not seduced by these strange teachings that the world is bringing forward.
1: That's right. You know, people are getting deceived. That's the problem. You know, people are being destroyed. There's lives being destroyed over it. You know, that's another sad part about it. Nobody wants to do this type of work. But the truth of the matter is, is that most people like it when they're lied to. Most people like it. The people nowadays, they're resisting the truth because it's too horrible for them to face it. But the truth is they're going to have to because we're out here to do a work because we understand that someone has to represent the truth so that these entities these forces don't just get to have their way we're watchmen for a reason you see watchmen were men who actually patrolled and protected the kingdom and warned the kingdom when things were on their way
0: and people hated them people hated the watchmen
1: they always did because he was the guy you didn't want to hear from
0: You've said some things Michael that are kind of controversial to the average person. You've mentioned about different structures being built on other planets, on the moon. I remember when I was in 5th grade and I've told a story before about my school, we were we were called the Austin Astronauts, a Stephen F. Austin Elementary School in Pecan Grove, Richmond, Texas. And I'll never forget they had astronauts come out once a year and talk to us and get us all excited about living in space. They told us that, that they've already got, you know, technology um, where people can live in space for so long, and they were their hopes, and, and I'm telling you guys, this came right out of the mouth of the astronauts uh, from Houston, the NASA, the NASA in Houston, and they said, "Look, we've got technology. So by the time you guys are adults, we might already have colonies in space where you can live." They
1: do, and they have been government agencies set up by the fallen angels, using human followers, and these human followers would select certain people people of intelligence, people who had gifts, so that they, they didn't just take anybody. You know, like it wasn't like you're gonna take John and Paul down from the street. They needed people with special abilities and they took them. And they they usually found those people through their occult agency. So it's occult connected. Meaning if, if somebody has these gifts and they're in an occult and that occult is connected with people that are connected with those people who have access to such a way to to, to acquire that. That's usually how it will go. And when those people disappear, they're just never heard from. You know, sometimes I've heard that, you know, a, a cover up of fake death will occur or they just are listed as missing.
0: I mean, even if they found dead human bodies up on Mars or on the moon, again, we don't know which planets are inhabitable if they build colonies, if they build certain colonies on planets and it's, you know, the colony is set up to support certain types of life. That's the technology that they were telling us about from NASA. The belief belief
1: is, um, because there is this other thing you got to consider is that the suits, like the, the, the astronauts were wearing the suits. A lot of people believe that the suits were not, you know, like an environmental suit because there was no atmosphere there but it was actually a two-front suit, that the suit operated as a battle suit and that the suit also protected them from certain, like, airborne germs, viruses, or things that they want to be immune to. The, the thing is, however, is that there is evidence that all the planets have atmosphere, meaning rain and things like that. We don't know what kind of atmosphere it is, but what's been discussed is that from people who have access to that information about how do humans live on these colonies. They said that they go through something called decompression and they're given certain type of vitamins and certain kind of changes in their body. This adapts them to be able to breathe the type of air and walk the type of environments that are on these planets. William Ruthledge was one of the astronauts on Apollo 20 and he's, he's stating that many of the people live underground where there's a strong oxygen atmosphere underneath the planet so he says this is why a lot of the colonies are under the ground but you can walk on the surface without a spacesuit and things like that and he was he was stating how that the astronaut suits are not for them to be able to breathe but what it really is is that when they when you just show up to the planet that you, you don't have any immunity or any kind of preparity for that. So sometimes you, could, you can die, but you won't die like from asphyxiation. But what will happen is is that you'll just you'll casually die. You'll just casually get sick, and you'll just casually get worn out.
0: Well, yeah, we weren't meant to live up there. And so you have to think that if, if humans are going to go up there and live in these colonies, then the atmosphere and everything is different up there than it is on Earth, and they might not live to the same amount of time that they would have lived on this Earth.
1: Correct. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's an adjustment from what they were describing. And
0: it's wickedness. But, you know, I'm just going to say yeah. it, okay? When I was a kid, I thought this was, oh, yeah, the astronauts, yeah, this is great, you know? Uh, we're going to be able to live in space. As a kid, I was so brainwashed by our society, by my teachers, and God bless my teachers. I had some really great teachers um, who who were Christians, but they were teaching the things that they were taught to teach. And now I'm getting to a certain age, and I'm, I'm waking up, and I'm realizing that a lot of the stuff we were taught was all propaganda. And, and look, here's the deal, okay? It is not cool to live in space. It is not cool to walk on the moon for crying out loud. That is us trying to raise up as a little God and go into a realm that we are not supposed to go, ladies and gentlemen. If God wanted us to be living on the moon, he would have allowed us to be born on the moon. We were born on this little blue marble called Earth. And we were born to live here. And why do you think Adam and Eve were put on Earth? Have you ever stopped to think about this, folks? They were created on this planet because that's where they were supposed to be. Not on the moon, not on Mars, not on Venus.
1: It's an obsession. It really is. For people who have that obsession of, I would love to go to the moon, I'd love to go to Mars, are the same people that say, I'd love to go to Greece, I'd love to go to Turkey. It's, a, it's, a, it's an obsession, you know, And, and but people don't want to see the realities of that, that, you know, I really believe the worlds, when God created these worlds, they are put in our solar system for a reason. I believe if things were perfect, if if there wasn't any sin, and if we were, you know, if things were different, maybe there would have been an opportunity, not because those planets are better, but because they're just there and they could be interesting. But where you are at, the Earth, the Earth itself, let's talk about what astronauts have said about it and their honesty with it. They said that from space, Earth is the most beautiful planet in space. They said that when they were on the moon, the moment they stepped on the surface, they missed the Earth, and they couldn't explain it. And these are testimonies from them. And they said that not only can they not explain it, but they said they felt they missed it as badly as you would miss your arm, your leg, like everything, that that the closer when they were getting home, All they kept thinking about, all they wanted was to get back to Earth and get to Earth. And then they remarked how you can even see other, from the distance of their travels, you can even see other planets. But none of them, none of them had the appeal when you look at Earth from space. It looks like a gem, like a, like a, like a, like a gem in space. And it glows. And, and, and it just has beauty that draws you toward it. God made Earth to be the most beautiful planet in the solar system so that human beings would get the best planet with the best resources, with the best beauty. How dare them think that they need to live on Mars or Venus?
0: I just want to take everybody real quick, and I know we're running out of time, but I just want to run everybody over to Isaiah chapter 45, okay? Uh, in, In verse 18, this is what it says. It says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Okay, he formed the earth for it to be inhabited. And we are not in support of people going to space. Okay, I'm sorry if your grandfather worked for NASA. I'm sorry. I, I'm just telling you what I believe. The Bible's clear. God created the earth to be inhabited. He gave man dominion over the earth, but you know that you know people want to go to space out of their sin, out of their selfish yeah. ambition. They want to go to space.
1: That's correct. That's that's why they sin it. Like um, I'm, I firmly believe that.
0: And they want to use our money. They want they want to use our tax dollars to perform their sin. You know, NASA and the abortion industry have something in common. They want to use our money for their sin. I'm just making a point that we live in a culture where we are encouraged to sin. We are encouraged to look outside of God for answers. So that's that's what we have here. You know, I mean, there's we've got proof. There's stuff going on in outer space. We know this. The Bible says there's wars in heaven. You know, we've got we got NASA telling kids, you know, 20 some odd years ago, that they're colonizing space. It's all lining up. This goes back to the Sumerians. This goes back. You know, Satan's plan has been going on for thousands of years. Now, in closing. Boy, I'm probably going to catch so much grief for what I'm about to say. <laughs> you know, I, I've picked up a lot of new listeners this last year. Praise God! I mean, we—it's uh, unbelievable. God has been so good in bringing new people listening to the Fourth Watch. Um, unfortunately, some of those new people have not heard some of my old shows. So I just—I yeah. uh, want to throw this out there. I've had La Marzulli on a few times. You know, he and I have broken down alien abductions from a biblical standpoint. Uh, they're not aliens. They're fallen angels, they're Nephilim, they're abducting people, they're taking people. It's a breeding program that goes back to Genesis chapter 6. If you have a distorted view of Genesis chapter 6, you're going to have a distorted view of everything we're talking about in the end times. You have to understand what Genesis 6 is talking about. The sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. It says they came in unto them. Yes, that's a sexual term, and they bore children to them. These are Nephilim, hybrids. We're dealing with extraterrestrial life, AKA fallen angels coming from outside of the earth. They were created outside of the earth, outside of the Terra. That means outside of the earth, folks, extraterrestrial. Okay. We're not talking about little green Martians from Space Jam hanging out with Michael Jordan. That's not what we're talking about. The fallen angels have a breeding program just like they had back in Genesis six. Okay. Why are they doing this? They're doing this because they're run by the enemy. They're part of the enemy. That's they will abduct women. I'm just look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you over to Ellie Marzuli, OK, if you want to shoot anybody, shoot him. <laughs> 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 he said and he's done a lot of research on this because there's a connection between the alien agenda and the Nephilim. OK, if you don't know this, I can't I don't have time to prove it right now. Ellie Marzuli said of all the alien abduction cases that he has researched and he is a born again follower of Christ. OK, he is a minister. He said of all the alien abduction cases, the women are taken up into a ship. They are impregnated and put down back on the earth. Now they don't know that they're pregnant. Okay. You have to understand. They just went through a crazy situation. They just went from one dimension to another pretty much. Okay. They're impregnated. They're put back on earth. Then once the, once the seed, you know, once the embryo starts growing, they're taken back up. Now look, if you don't believe me, go, go research this. The women that are taken up, sexually molested, put back on earth, they're usually taken again so many months later. And their embryos are taken out of them. Now It just, it makes sense to me that they take the Nephilim embryos out and then they take them up to hatch them somewhere. I know that sounds disgusting, but that, that makes the most sense. You know, back in Genesis six, it says they took wives of whom they chose. The same thing that was going on in Genesis six is going on now. We're Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love Yeshua. Okay. We are Bible believers. We are talking about this stuff because these are issues that are being brought up in the mainstream world of science and research. If we don't talk about them from a Christian perspective, then we are only allowing the world perspective to be broadcast. So if you don't agree with this, you think this is crazy, knowing that we are both born-again Christians, get on your knees and pray and say, Father, have I been deceived about this? You know, I mean, look, God will reveal to you. It's very possible that you are listening to this show tonight because you have been deceived and somehow you have been pushed into listening to this show to start opening up your mind to some of the things that are really going on in this demonic war. So look, we have gone, we've gone into a lot of things tonight. Some of these things, uh, this is probably going to be an information overload to some of you listening tonight. I know I've picked up a lot of listeners over the, the last year. Y- you haven't been slowly brought into this information, um, over my first year of broadcasting. So this might come across, you know, This might blow some of your minds, and I'm sorry for overloading you with information, but this has been one of those shows that is so packed with information. I hope you're able to digest it all. Now, Michael, as we close, I just want to give one more shout-out to your YouTube channel, Shield of the Sun. Anything you want to throw out there, um, how people can find you, how they can find some of the books you've written, uh, all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Just go to Lulu.com, purchase my books under Michael Herb. Um, Books there are uh, Spiritual Science, Volume 1, uh, Hollywood Perdition, Shadows of the Music Industry, uh, Wrestling in the New World Order, and The First Kingdom, Volume 1 and 2. You'll find me at uh, Shield of the Sun on YouTube. Uh, I got a Gmail. It's uh, Sun at gmail.com. You can find me also through Facebook under Michael Hurt.
0: That is Shield of the Sun, S-O-N, not S-U-N.
1: Yes, S-O-N, like Son of God. Awesome. Not the, uh, not the orb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very cool. Now, you have hard copies of your books available and also, Kendall, is that right?
1: Yep, yep, yep. Got both.
0: So now, uh, also, be sure to check out Shield of the Sun on YouTube. Michael has got tons of videos on there. I mean, we're talking about he covers all types of topics, topical videos. They're all free. Great information. Um, Definitely be sure to check that out. I think you'll be definitely blessed. Some of the stuff he gets into is going to cause you to really scratch your head. And that's a good thing. We need to be challenged as Christians, especially entering in to the end times, knowing that the spiritual warfare is getting turned up that's the bottom line here we have got to be prepared for the spiritual war we are covering aspects of spiritual warfare with these conversations so I hope this has been very uh, very well received I hope you've been blessed by tonight's discussion Michael thank you so much again for coming back on the fourth watch and uh, yeah. man you uh, you always cause me to think and when we get together boy we talk I mean goodness gracious uh, <laughs> we have uh, we have really taken this into a deep conversation tonight so thank you for that from the fourth watch radio network god bless you brother have a great week and we look forward to talking with you real soon. Well, that was a lot to think about, and I'm sure many of you are probably curious to look deeper into some of the things we talked about tonight. But now I want to move us into our Bible study segment for the week. Thinking about the topics we talked about tonight, I'm quickly reminded at how the world has many idols, or even further stated, the world has many golden calves. In our modern world, we live amidst a torrential storm of distractions, and along with those distractions, we tend to get sideswiped by the cultural conditioning, as well as forgetting that God is still in control. One minute we're serving God and praising His name, and the next minute we're engulfed in whatever problems and temptations the world has thrown our way. We literally go from trusting and worshiping God to falling into various types of sin and wickedness, and even into spiritual complacency. We go from living in faith and holiness to being self-serving and sinful. So quickly after the blessings and provisions come, we pull away from the very God who granted those blessings and provisions. As Solomon rightly said, there is nothing new under the sun, and this type of behavior goes back to the Old Testament. Tonight we're not only going to see this behavior in scripture, but we're also going to see a firsthand understanding of God's feelings towards this behavior. Many of us assume that just because of God's grace and mercy and just because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that God doesn't hate our sin or that he doesn't get grieved over our sin. But ladies and gentlemen, that could not be further from the truth. God absolutely hates our sin. We have to always remember that God sees everything and his feelings towards sin have never changed. Now, tonight, I want to take you back to a familiar story that took place after God had delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. As familiar as this story may be, tonight, we're going to throw some key characteristics into a new light. You see, we're talking tonight about the golden calf. Here's a reminder of the backstory, just in case you're rusty. For over 400 years, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves under Pharaoh. They were basically in a concentration camp. They were constantly told what to do, who to worship. And they were subjected to forced labor. But then God came through and he performed many miracles and provisions for the children of Israel in order to bring them out of bondage, but also to show them what an awesome God he was. You see, God mightily and supernaturally provided for and delivered the children of Israel. And once we get to Exodus 16 and 17, we see that God provided manna for them. He provided quail for them. And he also provided water supernaturally out of a rock. And this was after everyone witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. So there was really no lack of miracles or provisions concerning the Exodus. The children of Israel had experienced many signs and wonders of God. And we don't even have time to break them all down tonight. But you see, the fact is they had seen more than enough to have a full, total confidence in God. But when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, communing with God, and he was up there getting the commandments chiseled on stone tablets, the children of Israel were down on the ground forgetting everything that God had done for them. Let me just take you to the text. We're going to be in Exodus 32 tonight, and we're going to go ahead and start in verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. (laughs) This is unbelievable. The children of Israel come to Aaron, Moses' brother, because he was the one who was left in charge while Moses was up on the mountain with God. And the people said to Aaron, hey, Aaron, make us some gods so that these gods can go before us. (laughs) This is interesting because this was the culture that they had just gotten delivered from. You see, Egypt was a land of idolatry. So the people quickly began reverting back to wickedness. And they all knew that they needed a God to lead them or to go before them as they traveled in the wilderness. So they didn't want to wait on God. So they wanted to build a God to go before them. Now we know no idol could ever go before us anywhere, but this goes back to the cultural conditioning of Egypt. I think we could probably relate to that a little bit here in America. Now, before we move on, let me just break down what was really happening here. God had performed so many miracles throughout their exodus, just in the beginning And he was providing everything that they needed, but the people got impatient as they were waiting on Moses, which in essence meant that they didn't want to wait on God. And in the midst of their anxiety, they had forgotten everything that God had done for them. And then they persuaded Aaron to make an idol for them. See, they wanted Aaron to make a God for them because they didn't want to wait on the real God. Now, verse two, and Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. (laughs) Now, real quick, let me just interject and make a point. Aaron didn't even think twice. He literally gave an instant response to their satanic desires. They asked him to make a God and he said, "Okay, but first you need to gather up all your gold and bring it to me. He didn't even think about it. Sin on demand. Now, verses three and four. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so Aaron took their gold and made a golden calf out of it. And the people instantly began to worship this idol. But it got worse. The people actually began saying that this was the God that brought them out of Egypt. No matter how many times I read this, it always pricks my heart. So quickly we forget what God has done for us. And this isn't just them, this is us. This is a picture of mankind. Are you following this? Now verses five and six. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So Aaron leading the people. Remember, he is the one that Moses left in charge. So Aaron, leading the people, then built an altar before the idol that he just made. And he called the blasted idol the Lord. Talk about the audacity of this guy. He calls the golden idol the Lord. And then he declared a proclamation that the following day would be a feast unto this false God. And the people were happy. They came forth and brought offerings to the idol, it says. They ate a feast and then they got up and played. You know, it's not bad enough, ladies and gentlemen, that they built a false God. I mean, Aaron built this idol, but then he turns around and builds an altar to it. It goes from bad to worse really fast. So all this debauchery is going on with the children of Israel in their camp. But meanwhile, back on the mountain, God is getting fired up with anger. You see, God's omnipresent. He sees everything. He sees everything that you don't think he sees. There's no sweeping anything under the rug. There's no hiding behind the tree. There's no, let me just go hide under the covers. No, God sees everything. So God was with Moses on the mountain, but he also saw the children of Israel worshiping this idol. And it says he was fired up. He was getting fired up with anger. And then he tells Moses what's going on. See, because Moses is a human. Moses didn't get to see what all was going on. Moses was with God. God was everywhere. You feel this? Now, verses seven and eight. And the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Man. So God is giving the instant replay to Moses. He tells him the details of what wickedness the children of Israel were committing, and he is not happy. He then continues in verse 9 and 10, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. This is a lot. I mean, like these two verses have to be broken down because there's so much in here. You see, God is ticked off, to say the least. He tells Moses that this people is a bunch of stubborn fools. But that's not all, ladies and gentlemen. You see, the Lord tells Moses to go on and leave him alone so that the Lord can grow more angry and then kill them all. And the Lord said that he would then make a great nation out of Moses after he killed off all the children of Israel. Why would he tell Moses that? Why would he tell Moses that he would then make a great nation from his seed? You see, the original promise was to make a great nation out of Abraham through Isaac and then specifically through the children of Jacob, which we know is Israel. And these wicked and sinful idol worshipers who were worshiping the golden calf, they were the children of Israel, of which the great nation would be formed. But in their sin, God was going to destroy them and then start over with Moses. That's what we see when God said that he would consume all of them and that he would make a great nation out of Moses. But we then see something really powerful in Moses's response to the Lord in verses 11 through 14, verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So you see, Moses said to God, why are you letting your wrath grow so hot towards your own people? After all, these are your people whom you delivered out of the land of Egypt with your mighty hand. And then Moses continued in verse 12, making his case. Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So Moses is saying to the Lord, why should you allow the Egyptians to say that you did all this work bringing your people out of bondage just so that you could kill them in the mountains? Okay, Moses is trying to reason with God here to give the idol worshiping people a second chance. And so he continues in verse 13. He says, remember, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of. will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. Moses reminded God of his promises and ladies and gentlemen, God listened verse 14 and the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto his people. So the children of Israel did exactly what so many of us do today. They didn't want to wait on God. So what did they do? They made their own God and began acting based on the culture that they knew from Egypt I know, I've never built a golden calf, but I can say that I've made certain idols in my life in the past because I was selfish, I was impatient, and I didn't want to wait on God. You see, when we don't want to wait on God, we tend to act in the flesh. We try to figure out how we can do what we need. Rather than saying, God, I'm going to wait on you. Sometimes God wants us to work with our two hands. I get it. But sometimes we have to wait on God based on his word. See, we often take things into our own hands when we've lost hope in the fact that God is working constantly. You can't forget that. God is working 24 hours a day. But we put more faith in the here and now because we put more faith in our timeline based on our needs rather than putting our faith that God's timeline is in effect. See, we can't rush God's time, ladies and gentlemen. And when we do stupid things on our own because we think that we've got it under control, because we don't want to wait on God... The repercussions can be life-changing. We've got to come to the realization that we've got to wait on God, that we've got to trust that he is working to take care of his children. He has got our best interest at hand. Now, there are actually three types of people that I want to point out from tonight's text. You may have easily overlooked this part of the story as you've read this in the past, but I want to break this down for you. We see Moses and his actions... We see Aaron and his actions, and then we see the congregation of Israel and their actions. Now, we'll get back to Moses lastly, but first, let's have a look at Aaron. He was tremendously blessed by God, and he was even given a position of leadership. And as soon as the temptations came, he crumbled without even thinking about it. He instantly backslid into the pagan practices of his old life. I realize that the congregation or the children of Israel were the instigators But Aaron chose for himself to sin against God. How many of you listening have been given a position of authority? You've been blessed with this position of honor. You see, people look up to you for guidance. Even if you're not a boss or a leader at work, even if you're not a pastor or a teacher, if you're a parent, or if you have friends who look up to you, maybe you're like the group leader in your friends. They look up to you for advice or leadership. If you fall into any of these categories, then I'm talking to you right now. Don't commit the sin of Aaron. Don't give in to the temptations of the people that you lead. Let me rephrase that for you. Don't give in to the temptations of the people that surround you and who look up to you. Don't be quickly subdued to the pride of life and the lusts of the flesh. You see, you are a leader for a reason and you're to be bold and to stand up for what's right, regardless of what the people want. Satan would love nothing more than to destroy your leadership role, and he seeks to not only corrupt you, but to also corrupt the people who you lead. And this is exactly what's happening in the church today. We have leaders who have bowed down to the people because they want to please the crowds rather than to please God. You see, they believe that if they please the crowds, if they tickle people's ears, if they make people feel good, if they tell people that they can keep sinning and it's no big deal, well, the money keeps flowing in. And the pastors today have gone the way of Aaron rather than standing for God's word. Now, if you're a leader, I ask you, are you living like Aaron? Are you bowing to the desires of the people or are you bowing to the desires of God? Now, the next type of people that we see are the people or the congregation. These are the children of Israel. No, they're not leaders, but they're people with a voice nonetheless. These are a large community of people who have been provided for by God and who were no strangers to his miracles and provisions. However, they got bored while waiting on God, and they began to complain and murmur, and they desired to backslide into the old way of life. And this is kind of what we see in church. This is kind of what we see with professing Christians. The congregation. Are you someone who sees God's grace and provisions? And then quickly get swayed by the culture that you've been raised in. Maybe you get bored waiting on God. And you decide to take things into your own hands. Am I talking to you right now? Are you like Aaron? Are you like the congregation? Or maybe you're like this last person we're going to talk about. The last person we're looking at tonight is Moses. You see, he knew how much God hated sin. But he also knew that God loved his people and had made them promises. Moses was all about punishment and discipline, but he was also about following God's word and showing love. We see this in the way he contended with God not to destroy the people for their idolatry. He pleaded with God to show mercy. Are you like Moses? Do you want to lead people to repentance? Do you want to see people make right with God? We have to have confidence and total faith in God. We have to be willing to wait on God for his perfect time for everything. And in order to do this, we have to walk with God closely, loving God, loving his word. And we also have to live by his word. But then we have to find ourselves praying that God would show mercy to those unbelievers that we know who are caught up in sin and wickedness and that they might be drawn to repentance. We should never have the mentality of wanting God to destroy people. We should find ourselves praying for mercy on them that they would be drawn to repentance, ladies and gentlemen. And this is what Moses was working towards with the children of Israel. He didn't want them destroyed. He wanted them to be brought to repentance. So my questions for you tonight, how quickly do you forget what all God has done for you? How quick are you to give in to temptation and to commit sin? Are you waiting on God? Or are you looking for a quick fix to suit your earthly desires? Are you bending to the temptations of your surrounding environment? Or are you standing firm on the word of God? I encourage you to just take a moment and ask God to draw you close and to strengthen your personal walk. This won't happen without you making regular time to fellowship with Him through prayer and reading your Bible. Pray for the power and the drive to begin interceding on behalf of others in your prayer life. Praise God for that amazing love that has made payment for our sins. And as always, pray for wisdom and discernment as you grow each day in the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior And you haven't accepted his holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins It's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of his word It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching friends And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua But here's the good news You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and his once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but he's also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, he's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, Only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ, Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one, and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show, and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O dot B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T dot com. forthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the 4th Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the 4th Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If The Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network.